0: What is good, everybody? Welcome into the 73rd Hole Radio Show, live on the Sports Animals. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Pool, with you until noon today. Let me welcome in my co-host, Taylor Williams. Taylor, how are you doing on this breezy Sunday morning? If anyone's out there playing golf, it's probably a little breezy out there. I'm not sure whether that's just because I'm right by Lake Hefner and it's always windy right here. But when I got out of my car, I almost blew into the street.
1: Uh, and uh, I mean, and, and the thing too is that we got a lot of uh, high school tournaments that uh, high school state is actually starting tomorrow. So I bet a lot of kids are going to be out there getting it in the wind. But uh, but for us, Sam, I think we're just getting ready for Liv coming up next week. I could not wait for the great week that is ahead at uh, Cedar Ridge and Tulsa coming up. No doubt.
0: We're going to have full access to Liv Tulsa next week at Cedar Ridge in Broken Arrow. We'll get into that. We'll give a little bit of a preview here on the 73rd hole radio show, but definitely make sure to go subscribe to the 73rd hole podcast because we're going to have content coming out all week next week. And you guys are not going to want to miss it. You can go back and listen to interviews like we did with Taylor Gooch or even with Ryan Hibble or Kelsey Klein last week, a lot of great stuff we're putting out on the podcast every single week. Uh, So definitely go subscribe. It's absolutely free. It just helps us out and it will give you a notification whenever we drop a new episode. But yes, TW mentioned live Tulsa next week. We'll get to that. We'll also get to NCAA regionals. We have our regionals set. We'll talk about that later on in the show. Um, but we need to start with the Wells Fargo. We have an elevated event on the PGA Tour this week, and a former Oklahoma State Cowboy. I, I guess you could say TW. He played half of his or really three-fourths of his college career at Oklahoma State, Wyndham Clark has a two-shot lead at the Wells Fargo, at Quail Hollow. And TW up number one, before we get to Wyndham Clark and, and what we think is going to happen today, Quail Hollow is one of my favorite courses in professional golf. It's not my favorite of the venues that, our regular tour events or even on live. I, I think that that quail hollow is probably the top of the top, the cream of the crop as far as just perfectly manicured, great course design, fun to watch. You got drama coming down the stretch. I really enjoy watching quail hollow every single year.
1: I couldn't agree with you more, Sam. I mean, when, whenever you look at the actual design of Quote Hollow, I would put it up there with you could take the last three holes, the green mile that everyone looks at, but I'd even take it further back. I'd go with probably about the final seven holes of this course I'd put up with, against with almost anyone any course in the world. I mean, 12 that very narrow par four going up, 13 that par three that Wyndham Clark yesterday hit it in there pretty tight, 14 drivable par 4, 15 great par 5, and then obviously the green mile, the long uh, par 4, 16th, and then the par 3, 17th, then everyone knows the 18th, which uh, which uh, like someone like Adam Svensson made a quad on there yesterday, so it's very, very difficult haul if you get out of position, but yeah, I absolutely agree, so I mean, they've hosted President's Cups, like they did last year, host the PJ Championship, most recently in uh, 2017, that's when JT won, so yeah, it, it's it's by far one of, the, one of the elite, maybe the elite course that they play on, on a regular tour base, and that's why even before the... This wasn't elevated event, Sam. It would usually garner such a great feel just because the course is so elite. No
0: doubt about it. And I mentioned Wyndham Clark, who played three-fourths of his college golf at Oklahoma State. That's because then after he played at Oklahoma State, he transferred to Oregon after they won the national championship. If you remember those deep Oklahoma State teams, Wyndham Clark actually didn't make the starting five for Big Twelves back then. Kind of got upset and ended up transferring to Oregon. And then T-Dub, he kind of struggled a little bit when he got into professional golf on the Corn Ferry Tour, then the PGA Tour. Um, But, man, is he playing the best golf of his career right now, T-Dub. And and like I said, he has a two-shot lead, 16 under over Xander Shopley. And then you have Adam Scott and Terrell Hatton at 11 under. But it looks like it could be kind of a two-horse race. But as far as how Wyndham Clark's been playing, over these past really month and a half. Uh, you know, He finished tied for 24th at the Mexico Open, but then he had a solo third with Bo Hosler at the Zurich Classic uh, in the team event down in New Orleans. He finished tied for 29th at the RBC, but then before that, in Punta Cana, he had a solo sixth, and before that, he had a solo fifth at the Valspar, and Wyndham Clark is one of those guys, T-Dub, that absolutely bombs it, but the difference in the last couple months or so of his game in professional golf is the fact that he is figuring something out on the greens. He hasn't lost shots on the greens T-dub since the Genesis. I mean, if he's gained shots on the field, on the greens, every single, every single tournament since the Arnold Palmer T-dub. And so when a guy who is a great driver of the golf ball, finds something with the putter, you're going to see days like yesterday. He started off the tournament with Back-to-back four unders, and then yesterday he shot four under on the front and four under on the back to to shoot eight under, a bogey-free 63 on the day. So, like I said, 16 under par for the tournament, two-shot lead over Xander. This isn't some journeyman guy that I that a lot of people might say, oh, Xander you know has the best chance to win this golf tournament. We'll get to the analytics in a second. But Wyndham Clark has some game, and he's figured something out with the putter, T-Dub.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you kind of have a, a Jalen Hurts type situation, Wyndham Clark, right? It's like, does OSU claim him or does Oregon claim him? Because when he went to Oregon, he, he played really good, was the uh, Pac-12 uh, player of the year uh, out there whenever he was at Oregon. And I don't have any validity to back this up, but I think one reason why Wyndon Clark may be playing so well is that he, he enrolled at, at OSU in 2012, and if you, t- if you take back and look back at it, Taylor Gooch was there around 2010. That's when he enrolled, and um, whenever someone sees, like you see a teammate of yours, and you go out there and you see him have so much success, even if it's not on the same tour that you're having, that gives you a little bit of confidence, right? At least it should, because pro- he probably played a lot of golf with Taylor Gooch and said, you know what, there are probably days where he beat him, and it's like, man, if this guy's going out and dominating uh, this type of competition, I can go out and do do the same thing and Look at Wyndham Clark, Sam. This is another example of kind of how the OWGR is just very skewed. He's the 80th-ranked player in the OWGR, but he's 26th-ranked analytically, and that's before this tournament uh, even started. So, I mean, after this week, he's going to go drastically way up in there. And, and you're, you're spot-on, Sam, when it comes to the putting. I mean, what is that, seven straight weeks where he's gained uh, shots on the greens, and then his iron plays good, and he's all, he always hits the ball exceptionally far. That's never going to be a problem. So, yeah, if he, if he just finds those weeks where that putter gets rolling, he's going to be looking pretty sharp, and he's definitely – doing that this week. He's gaining over two shots on the greens, gaining more than two shots. Uh, approach the green, really the only area where he's struggling. He's still gaining strokes here, but around the greens, he, he's just a little bit there, which, I mean, yesterday when he hit 17 of 18 greens, and 18 green, he missed by a, a total of, I think, one millimeter. So, I mean, there's not a whole lot of chipping that needs to be done there. So, if he can keep up that ball striking, he's going to be good, but uh, you got Xander just lurking right behind him. So, uh, they went out there, and I believe, what were they, 15 under between the two of them yesterday at Quill Hall? That's just absolutely absurd, and they've kind of uh, really distanced themselves and almost made this not necessarily a two-horse race at this point, but uh, it, within the first few holes of this tournament, it could easily get that way.
0: Let's talk about Xander really quick, T-Dub, because Xander is the most consistent player on the PGA Tour. Right now in the OWGR, he's fifth, and Data Golf, he's sixth, um, and he's 21st in the FedEx Cup, but it's interesting because he hasn't missed a cut since the 2022 Masters, T-Dub. The guy is unbelievable as far as playing consistent golf, but he really hasn't this year at least been up there in contention, but I think it's coming because he has gained. Listen to this stat. This is crazy. He has gained over a full shot on the field every single tournament except for the Arnold Palmer strokes gained approach over a full shot strokes gained approach every single tournament since the century except for the Arnold Palmer. The guy is the best iron player in the world right now. Now, he needs to get the putter hot. That's why he hasn't necessarily been competing. And off the tee, especially this year as well, it hasn't been as good as it has in the past. So the putting and off the tee have been a little bit streaky, which is why you haven't seen him in the winner's circle. But like we saw yesterday, seven under and and only two shots back of the lead, this might be the day where he takes the lid off and starts winning tournament after tournament because the guy puts himself in position. He just really hasn't gone out there on the weekend and fired the low ones he needs to go out and win golf tournaments so far this year.
1: Well, and just, it can be a little misconstrued because he won the gold medal and he's won, what, three times last year, but Shoffway went through a decent stretch where you're like, man, is this guy ever going to break through and win again? Because he won the century back in, what, 2018 or something like that, maybe 2019? And, uh, I mean, it just seemed like it took him forever to go out and, and win another tournament. And he had always been in contention, just like he has been the last few weeks and just hasn't been able to break through. I mean, as you alluded to, his last, uh, his last five finishes or last four finishes, he's going 4-4-10th four and fifth. And then even looking at how he's done in the majors, Sam, this may be able to prognosticate how he'll do, for, for example, at Oak Hill, the PGA, or at LA Country Club at the U.S. Open. His last four majors, he, he's his best finish is 10th, but his worst finish is 15th. So as, the last four, he's been inside the top 15 ever since that cut, uh, or his miscut, at the Masters last year when he only made one birdie in the 36 holes. So yeah, he's definitely rebounded from that a little bit. And yeah, he's playing some absolute stellar golf right now. Currently sixth in the world analytically. I think he might move up a little bit after this term, especially if he goes out. The cat sat on and gets a win because this week, uh, Sam he's gained, he's very much like Wyndham Clark, gaining more than two shots on the greens. You mentioned the putting had been a little bit streaky, so it's definitely found the right iron this week. And then both him and Wyndham Clark getting more than a full shot off the tee. So they're, uh, you alluded to the iron play, but he's putting himself in position to hit those great irons um, coming in. So and you look at the analytics for this afternoon, Sam Wyndham Clark fifty five percent chance to win, Xander Schauffele at thirty two percent. So you add those up, eighty seven percent chance for them to win. So accumulate everyone else, you have a thirteen percent chance that anyone else in this tournament to win. So I believe that's either very close, if not identical to what uh, Rom and Fiena were last week at the Mexico Open. So yeah, this uh, the analytics definitely ha- favor this is going to be a two-horse race.
0: The one thing the analytics don't factor in is how tough it is to close out your first you know, PGA Tour win, or at least first big PGA Tour win. They're playing for over $3 million. This is an elevated event. Wyndham Clark's never really been in this situation before T-Dub, and Xander Shoffley has. Now, do you think that that is the biggest factor of the day? Because so far this week, in the first three rounds, Wyndham Clark has played better than Xander Shoffley has. Like I I mentioned, two-shot lead over Xander Shoffley headed into the final round. But those two shots can go very, very quickly when a situation like this, and you just wonder whether a guy... Lives up to the moment or not? Do you think that Wyndham Clark has it in him to kind of, you know, minimize the moment and not make it bigger than it is, T.W.
1: I think he does. It's just a. But you're absolutely right, though. I do think that is the biggest test going in this afternoon. I mean, just look at the guys around him, right? The, but besides Shoffley at 14 under and third place, you have two guys at 11 under. You have Adam Scott, Terrell Hatton, then you have a, a trio there at 10 under with Harry English, Tommy Fleetwood, and Sung J.M. Then you have Brendan Todd down there at 9 under. I mean, I think 10 under is probably the, the biggest jump you could have coming back because unless both Shafley and Clark just play absolutely horrible this afternoon, I, I don't see anyone down there going out and shooting a 63 or 62, sort of like those guys did yet or yesterday to move up the leaderboard. So I think that's probably the most that you'll be able to come back from. And then if if, if Clark or Shafley goes out and just shoots a few under par, then it makes it really hard for those guys to chase. So, But but no, it's with Clark trying to get his first professional win, I, I believe his entire career, looking back on this, I think the last time that he won a, a tournament that was at least on, on data golf was going all the way back to the Pac-12 Championships. That was back in 2000. 2000- 17. So not only is he looking for his first professional win, Sam, he's looking for his first win overall and probably decently sometime. So that's definitely going to be something to work out. He definitely has the talent to do it. Is this his time? It could be. But uh, I mean, if you had to put a gun in my hand and said, you can only pick one of these guys, I'd probably pick Shoffley for all the reasons you alluded to with how much success he's had in the past, especially recently. I think that, uh, I mean, even as great as Clark has been playing over the last two or three months, Shoffley has been playing a little bit better. So that's why I would give him the slight edge, even though he is two shots back.
0: We see Adam Scott up there, tied for third at 11 under. Adam, Adam Scott has sneakily been playing some of the more consistent golf on the PGA Tour. He hasn't missed a cut, he dubbed, since the PGA Championship last year at Southern Hills. Now, he hasn't contended really at all because it seems like every single tournament. One area of his game is is you know off a little bit. It, it can be the putting one week. It's been the last couple of weeks. The last time he teed it up at the RBC or the Masters, it was the iron play. Um, you know, it, it just seems like he hasn't really had it all click on the same week. Now, it's been clicking pretty well this week. But like I mentioned, he's been very consistent in the OWGR. He's forty first in the world in Data Golf. He's sixty eighth. Um, in the world, um, but T.W., like I said, he hasn't missed a cut since Southern Hills last year. What have you seen uh, in Adam Scott's game that over the past year or so, it looks really, really good, T.W., but why hasn't he been winning and contending more?
1: Well, it's funny this is just to prove how mediocre really he has been been going at it because as you mentioned he has not missed a cut going all the way back to last year but he's 133rd in the FedEx Cup so i mean you expect someone who's made every cut on the PJ Tour to at least be in the top 100 of that category but i mean look at some of his finishes 31st 39th 31st 71st 31st 65th 21st 29th of the tournament of champions where there's or tournament of qualifiers as we call it, where there was only like 35 players so been been a little bit lax day school been doing enough to make Hudson, I think it's exactly like you've talked about, Sam. I mean, I'm looking at it right here. Last tournament, gained strokes gained in three out of the four categories, but the iron play was horrible. Same thing at the at the Masters. at so The Dell match play, you had two of the four categories. He struggled off the tee and putting, but uh, the approach game and the round of the greens was good. Then the uh, uh, TBC Sawgrass, uh, everything was good except the iron. So, yeah, it just seems like everything's been a little bit hit or miss when it comes to Adam Scott. This week he is gaining almost two shots on the greens and uh, gaining almost two shots of. Approach the green, so it looks like he's got the iron play figured out is actually losing shots off the tee. Had a, a drive yesterday on 18 that went a total of about 50 yards because he KO'd some trees on the left. So definitely I, I feel like this week that the tee ball is definitely what Adam Scott is worrying about. But he does have the irons figured out, and uh, I, I don't know, Sam. I mean, I, I don't see enough good form from Adam Scott to say that he's going to definitely go out and make a run uh, this afternoon. But I will say that if Clark and Shoffley do kind of falter and kind of come back or at least stay remotely steady, I do think Adam Scott could go out and make a little bit of run. But I do feel like that uh, his tournament is on. Awesome almost out of his hands, unless he goes out and shoots, I don't know, roughly at least seven or eight under, in my opinion.
0: I got to say this, though. Of the guys, there's two guys at 11 under, tied for third. It's Adam Scott and Terrell Hatton. I think that Hatton definitely has a better chance to win this golf tournament than Adam Scott does. I think if it's not Xander or it's not Wyndham Clark, I think it's going to be Terrell Hatton today because earlier in the year, t Dub. Hatton was maybe the hottest player in professional golf. I mean, he finished second at the Players. He finished fourth at, the, at Bay Hill. He finished sixth at the Phoenix Open. Um, and then he went over to uh, play in some DP World Tour events over uh, the offseason, quote-unquote offseason, after the Tour Championship, where he finished se- seventh in Dubai, second at the DP World Tour Championship to Rory, um, you know, finished eighth. At the Italian Open, he's had some really good finishes, but you ask why he you know, finished 34th in the Masters or, or why. It's because he went through a little bit of an injury. I'm not sure whether it was his thumb or his wrist, T-Dub, but he went through that injury right around the time of the match play. I actually, the, at the start of that week, T-Dub, I picked him to win the match play, and then he came down with that injury, and it seems like he's just now getting back to that form that he had uh, before he went through that little injury with the wrist.
1: Well, yeah. Just to put it into perspective, after his uh, second place finish at the Players, he moved up to I believe the eighth player in the analytical rankings. He's down to fifteenth right now. So definitely the last days, uh, last four tournaments in particular, really hasn't been doing very well. But one thing about that that Players Championship Sam, that may allude to some of the things you are talking about for this afternoon. Remember, he really wasn't much in, in contention that week. He went out and had a very, very stellar back nine. What he shoot, I, I believe, six or seven under on that back nine to be able to move way up. So maybe if Hatton can go out and do something like that, he could definitely move with the leaderboard. And yeah, I, I do agree with you, Sam. Out of the two guys at 11-under, between him and Scott, I would think that Hatton would have the better chance. The analytics back that up, too. Uh, Hatton with a 3.8% chance to win. Adam Scott had exactly 2% chance. So, I mean, that, that's not a drastic change by any stretch, but it's definitely enough to, it's almost twice as likely they're saying that Hatton would win over Adam Scott, and I agree just with with everything that has have been saying. And also, too, here for anyone wanting to make a little bit of wagers, Hatton has a 60% chance at a top 5. Uh, Adam Scott has about a 47% chance. So if you're at any sports books where those odds are pretty even for a top five, you definitely want to lean on Terrell Hatton, at least in my opinion.
0: I agree with that, T-Dub. And so I do think it's a two-horse race today between Wyndham Clark and Xander Shoffley. I think that Hatton needs a little bit of help uh, you know, to get up there and win this golf tournament. I mean, you've got guys like Harris English and Fleetwood and Sung J M at 10 under. I don't necessarily see those guys going out there and shooting a 63. The guys that I do think can go really low today are guys like Max Homa or Justin Thomas or maybe even a Victor Hovland, but they're just too far back. I mean, Max Homa's 8 under along with Justin Thomas and then Hovland's 7 under. Um, some of those big names, T-Dub, are just a little too far back to me. I think your winner comes out of Wyndham-Clark or Xander Shopley.
1: I 100% agree. And, and yes, uh, you would think JT or Homan, maybe one of them can go out and shoot shoot a pretty low one this afternoon, but I don't think it'll be enough at the end of the day. But of of those guys at 10-under, I'm really looking at Sung-JM. I do think that he has a very solid chance to go out and make a little bit of a run. His his last, uh, let's see here, his last five tournaments, 6th, 7th, 16th, 17th, and 6th. So, I mean, he's just been playing so extremely solid, up to the 7th-ranked player analytically right now and just has been on an absolute tear and I mean you look at him this week as well Sam gaining over a shot and a half on the greens in every other category is right about uh, about half a shot on the field off the tee approach and around the green so I, I do expect Sun J to have a, a pretty decent afternoon today and you even look at the chances we mentioned Adam Scott having a 2% chance to win that's that's the same as Sung J M has and he is one shot back of Adam Scott so uh, out of those guys at 10 under the analytics definitely favor Sung J M and I would do the same as well because uh, very sneakily Sam and playing some, some very underrated golf a lot of people don't look at him going into tournaments but uh, I mean just with that steady finish hasn't finished better than sixth in his last five terms it also hasn't finished worse than 17th. that's not consistency I don't know what is.
0: T-Dub quickly we got to talk about Sung because I watched the golf yesterday and he's always had a slow backswing or pause in his backswing but it almost seems like now t He's just setting the club on the back. It's not even a back swing. It's really more of a back, set the club in position because he almost has two pauses now on his back swing. It's even more accentuated than it used to be.
1: Yeah, it's like a pause like halfway back. And then it's a, another slight pause at the top, which is something that when he first came out on the PJ tour, I mean, he's still a very young guy. He's only 25 years old, but he's been out on tour ever since 2019. And even back then, it was definitely not as extreme as it is now. So, yeah, it's very interesting to see him change like that I remember the first time I believe it was probably about a year ago maybe a year and a half ago when I first saw this kind of new swing for him I didn't seem like he was hitting it very well but then he's gotten it figured out so there's an immense amount of talent with Sung J.M. has and uh, let's put it this way he's not going to be any rush to uh, to uh, once he starts his backswing to hit his ball there's not going to be any rush he doesn't necessarily take as long to hit the ball as Patrick Cantlay setting up to hit it but uh, once he's over the ball and makes a swing it's about the slowest you'll ever see.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. Very similar to what Cam Young does. Kind of similar to what Hideki used to do. Uh, It will be interesting to see if that type of swing holds up if he puts himself in contention in a major. I have my questions about it, T-Dub, but we can talk more about that going forward. uh, After the break here, we got to hit a break, but after the break, we're going to talk NCAA regionals. The regionals are set. Last week on the podcast, we talked to Ryan Hibble and J.W. Vanderborn, my former coach of the Kansas City Kangaroos. Um, We might play some of those interviews later on in the show. But after the break here, we're going to dive into what teams went to which region and what teams we think are going to win their region and get into the national championship at Greyhawk here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. And we are back here on the 73rd Hole Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Pool, with you until noon. And T-Dub, it's time to dive into these NCAA regionals. And T-Dub, we talked to Brian Hibble last week. He thought that they were going to go to... Uh, Jimmy Austin and they did uh, but before we get to OU and OSU I kind of just want to read off what teams are going to which region so let's go ahead and start it off at the Auburn region in Auburn Alabama at the Auburn University Golf Club uh, you're going to have Vanderbilt who is the top team in the country who has the top player in the country or one of the top players you can either pick Love the Gayberg who goes to Texas Tech or Gordon Sargent who goes to Vanderbilt, and they are in that Auburn regional. I've played this course, dubbed Tough Golf Course. Um, I think it's a really good spot to have one of these regionals, as long as you get some good weather. Alabama weather is similar to Oklahoma; it should be warm by now. But you, in the springtime, you can get some dicey weather in Auburn. Um, but you got Vanderbilt, Tennessee, Auburn, Colorado State, Ohio State, Washington, TCU, Chattanooga. Then you have Houston, Marquette, Indiana, Augusta University, and Sienna. And then your individuals, by the way, so the way it works is if your team does not qualify, and you do qualify uh, for regionals, you still get in individually. And so that means that uh, Alex Goff of Kentucky, Brantley Scott of Troy, Eric Jansen of Jacksonville State, Tobias uh, Johnson of Mercer, Cameron Clark, of Southern Miss, uh, Brian Ma of Harvard, Jackson Skeen of t- uh, Tennessee Tech, Luca Naglik of Arkansas State, Hugo Thur of South Alabama, and Killian McGinley of Fairfield will all be in that Auburn Regional P-Dub. Give the people a little bit of a preview into this one. I know that Vanderbilt is obviously the number one ranked team in the country. They're expected to win this thing, but what do you think of as far as the top five teams to get through this
1: region? Well, first of all, Sam, you did a lot better job than I would have done on those name pronunciations, so great There's job. A lot
0: of a lot of foreign names on that list there, t Dove. A lot of the, a lot of the uh, Europeans uh, go to these smaller schools, and that's really what you see a lot in college golf is the, the uh, you know, top players from a Jacksonville State or a Mercer or a Southern Miss. They, they get into regionals not through their team but individually based on how they played all year or how they finished in their conference tournament.
1: Yes, it's definitely easier for some of these uh, smaller schools to recruit some really elite um, international players. Remember, Rory McIlroy, before he turned pro, was committed to, I believe, East Tennessee State or something like that. So I, I think that he could have gone to a little bit more prestigious university but decided not to. But back to the Auburn Regional, like as you mentioned, Vanderbilt, the number one seed. Tennessee, according to Golf Week rankings, is 13th. Auburn, actually 10th, so uh, they're ranked a little bit higher. So that's a pretty solid at least top three. Then you have Colorado State down – uh, I believe they are in the, tw- uh, let's see, they're 30th exactly. Ohio State's 34th. And, and then kind of a sneaky team, Sam, in there is TCU. Remember, they finished second at Prairie Dunes in the Big 12 Championship. So we talk about this all the time with teams just finding form at the right time and uh, might be able to, uh, to kind of uh, get in there with uh, a little bit of good play. So, yeah, I feel like this this regional, Sam, I know it's the first one we're looking at, but this one, at least on paper, looks pretty tough.
0: Yeah, I mean, you definitely just don't want to go to the Vanderbilt region because there's one less spot for you to get into the national championship, right? And then uh, Auburn playing on their home course, that takes away another spot. So basically the other, I mean, the other 11 teams are playing for three spots, right, t
1: that's what you would think, yeah, unless there's something absolutely drastic happen, But no, there, there's, not, there's not a realm of endeavor where, where Vanderbilt doesn't make it through and then Auburn at their home course being the number 10 ranked team in the country, you would think it would be an absolute shock. Just to put that into perspective, Auburn is 10th and OU is 9th. So both of them at their home course and we're all kind of extremely prognosticating OU will not have any type of problem at Jimmy Austin. So yeah, I think it's very similar for, Van, or for Auburn in that aspect. So yeah, you have, uh, you're going to have three teams, or you're going to have three extra spots accordingly, Tennessee. Colorado State, Ohio State, or, or would be the three at least off that. But then you have Washington, TCU, right there, and who knows, maybe an Augusta University or maybe a Siena, something like that. I mean, you go out and they—I'm they, assuming they won their conference championship. That's how they got got in the regional. So yeah, you can go out and make a little bit of a run. would not be the first time we saw something like this happen. But uh, I, I do. This is a, like I mentioned earlier. This is a pretty tough uh, little regional to start out with. But I, I do expect that Vanderbilt and Auburn are almost shoe in to have their tickets punched to Greyhawk.
0: No doubt about it. You made a good point about TCU finishing second in the Big 12 tournament. That was a little bit of a surprise. But if you can play consistent golf at Prairie Dunes and that weather and wind, you can play good golf anywhere. Um, Let's get to the Clemson Regional, T-Dub, where you have North Carolina in the top spot. Then you have Georgia Tech, Texas A&M, San Diego State having to make the trek across the country to the Clemson Regional. Uh, Georgia Southern Arkansas is in the Clemson regional Purdue New Mexico Clemson is in the Clemson regional even though they're not having their best year uh, they're the ninth seed in that region Furman is in that region Middle Tennessee like you just mentioned with Rory um, and then you have Northern Illinois University Long Island University and my personal favorite T-Dub Longwood University Um and then as far as the uh, individuals go, you got uh, guys from Charleston. I'm I'm going to leave off the names here, T-Dub, just for the sake of time. But you got guys from Charleston, Central Florida, two guys from Central Florida, Coastal Carolina, Radford University. Um, those are the individuals for the Clemson Regional. But T-Dub, this has my pick, at least before the season, to win the national championship in North Carolina. Dylan Minetti, the transfer from Pepperdine. They have David Ford, who is one of the best sophomores in the country. Uh, and then Austin Greaser, who played in the Masters last year. they got to get some better play than they have this spring from their four and five bag C-Dub. Otherwise, teams like, you know, they're, they're kind of in the same boat as like a Texas Tech, where they have three good players and then the the four and five bag are very, very inconsistent. If they want to be teams like a Vanderbilt or even a team like Oklahoma who is trending very much so in the right direction at the right time, North Carolina has to have help for those three top guys. you you can't you gotta count four scores p dub somehow, right?
1: Yes, you do, and you mentioned Austin Greaser. He actually played in the Wells Fargo this week. He missed the cut. He shot four over, but as an amateur, that's really nothing to a to really bad an eye at. And you just look at how how these teams are ranked going in. You have North Carolina, as you mentioned, they're they're the third ranked team on golf stat. Georgia Tech is fifth. Texas A and M. Fourteenth, and you go down San Diego State's 24th, uh, Georgia Southern 28th. So, I mean, it's a another kind of pretty top-heavy uh, little, little regional here. But uh, I do expect this one to be maybe not quite as open as maybe the one that we were talking about earlier. I would be pretty shocked. I mean, you're going to have five teams make it from this regional. I think North Carolina, Georgia Tech, and Texas A&M are almost shoe-ins to do it. Then after that, I feel like you've got – You've got San Diego State, Georgia, Southern Arkansas, and Purdue. I'm I'm not sure if I'd include New Mexico in that category, but you go out and you you play some good golf, anything can happen. But I feel like out of the San Diego State, Georgia, Southern Arkansas, and Purdue, you've got four teams battling out for two spots. That's at least how I prognosticate this region will go on. So those first three teams, I feel like something would drastically have to happen for them not to make it because they're three of the top 14 teams in the country, but then you also have the, the, the tournament is hosted at Clemson's Golf Course, and they are the ninth seed. So, I mean, they could kind of come out of nowhere and kind of steal one of those spots. So, um, as as top-heavy as I feel like this regional is, with it being hosted at uh, Clemson's Golf Course, that does open the door a little bit more than I think some of these other regionals would, considering, like, for example, OU and Auburn, who are hosting regionals, they're a top you know nine or ten team in the country, while Clemson coming in as a ninth seed open up the door a little bit for them to kind of sneak their way into Greyhawk.
0: Yeah, and TW, you have those rankings right in front of you. So as far as the teams go, um, I think a lot of people around here might be interested on where, say again, where Texas A&M is ranked because they do have Sam Bennett, who a lot of people remember from the Masters this year. And then tell us where Arkansas is ranked. And it's interesting that Georgia Southern is ranked ahead of them. That's one of those small schools, TW. That I guarantee I haven't even looked at their roster. But I guarantee you they have a bunch of Europeans that are really solid on that team. Uh, so where are Arkansas and A&M ranked uh, in the golf, stat or, or golf week ranking?
1: So Arkansas is ranked 35th. They're right around the likes of Ohio State is 34th. Washington is 36th. They're kind of in that category. Texas A&M is ranked 14th. They're just, uh, just behind uh, the likes of Tennessee, Stanford, and Pepperdine. They're just ahead of teams like Texas, Alabama, Virginia, and OSU, who is down in 18th so yeah I think that uh, Sam Bennett being a kind of a catalyst for that team really before the Masters wasn't having the most stellar college season by any stretch of the imagination but uh, with a little bit of motivation you can get from being in the final group of Saturday at, at a major championship in general let alone the Masters has to give you the utmost amount of confidence which we've heard Sam Bennett talk and he's not lacking in confidence whatsoever so yeah I think A&M is sitting in a pretty good spot but I mean, we're going to say this a lot, Sam. There's a lot of golf to be played. I mean, 72 holes of whenever you're trying to count four scores and you can only throw one out. I mean, literally anything could happen at this point. And uh, like I said, I do expect this to be a top-heavy regional. But but Clemson sitting there lurking, man. That that's what gives me a little bit a little bit of worry for maybe the uh, the San Diego States, Georgia Southern. Or even though we have a lot of Arkansas fans around this area. Arkansas, is, if they go, if Arkansas goes out and plays their, their B game, I'm not sure they're going to get through. I think Arkansas is going to have to play at worst their A minus game to be able to get through on to the national championship.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Clemson playing on their home course. We've said this many times on this show that golf, especially more than any other sport, you have a home course advantage, right? Because you qualify on that course every week. You practice on that course every week. And as long as you don't set it up different, like we've, we've seen Carson Creek during national championships be set up a little bit different than what they're used to, if you just keep it the same, you have a massive advantage. We see it week in and week out that the team hosting the tournament will at least contend to win, if not win, every single time, just because of that comfortable comfortability factor um, of playing on your home course. T Dub, let's get to Eagle Eye Golf Club in Bath, Michigan, hosted by Michigan State University. Michigan State region has Illinois, Florida. They have Texas, Oregon, Kansas State, Georgia, Liberty, who is a golf powerhouse or has been in the past, uh, San Diego, Arkansas, Little Rock, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Illinois State, Purdue, Fort Wayne. Um, And then you have individuals from Toledo, Minnesota, Wright State, Notre Dame. Uh, You got guys, individuals from Valparaiso and St. John's. Um, But, man, that one is extremely competitive to me. Illinois is going to make it through. They have played unbelievable golf so far this year. They're ranked in the top five in the country. Florida, uh, they have DeUndy. I mean, he's one of the best players in the country. Texas, I mean, they have Brian Stark now. They're a little underranked to me because they do have the ability to go low considering they added one of the better players in the country at the semester. Oregon has won national championships in the past. Kansas State is no slouch themselves, even though they did not have a good Big 12 tournament whatsoever at Prairie Dunes. But Prairie Dunes is tough. It, It can get south on you, and then you got teams like Georgia who have great history. T Dub, this seems, and then Liberty. Like I said, this seems like one of the toughest regions just as far as the competitiveness, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you have Illinois, who's number two in the country, Florida's seventh. We, we talked about Texas earlier being in there at 15. Then you have Oregon and and Kansas State, who are all really top 25. Kansas State's ranked 26th, but, but just right outside the line. And then another situation, very similar, Clemson Regional. You have Michigan State, who's the 10th seed here. They're the 65th-ranked team in the country, and the, and they're hosting the tournament. So, I mean, once again, look for them to maybe kind of come out of nowhere and potentially uh, move on. But, uh, but no, I mean, I, I think th- those top teams, I mean, obviously Illinois has been playing Rock State. They've actually moved up a decent amount in the rankings. And uh, Mike Small, one of the best uh, college golf coaches in the country, I'm sure he's going to have his team rolling in. And then I watched a little bit of Florida at uh, in the SEC championship in the match play, and they looked, looked pretty strong too. So I expect them to do a little bit of good. Then, as you mentioned, w- with Texas out. Uh, I mean, they're, they're sitting good. Brian Stark played really good at, at Prairie Dunes, able to help them move up a little bit. So I think we're going to go through here, Sam, and see a trend to where we'd be pretty shocked if the if the top three teams at each regional somehow don't make it on, and I feel like that's the exact same with this one. But uh, you know the likes of, uh, of a Kansas State, who we probably have some fans around here, uh, written for them. And Georgia, as you mentioned, is a golf powerhouse. But then Michigan State, down there at 10, could bump one of those other teams out. So uh, if you're Oregon, Kansas State, or Georgia, you're going to need to, uh, to play some solid golf if you want to move on.
0: No doubt about that. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and hit a break, and then we'll get into OU's region, where OSU is going for regionals here on the 73rd Hold Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Pool with you until noon. We're getting into OU and OSU after the break here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. You're back here on the 73rd Hold Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Pool with you, and we are going over the NCAA regionals we have one more before we get to OU and Oklahoma State by the way these regionals are coming up May 15th through the 17th so definitely get down to Norman and support the Oklahoma Sooners or if you're uh somewhere else we'll get to where Oklahoma State is going but first let's talk about the San Jose State Regional um T-Dub, this is the most wide open regional to me. You got teams like Pepperdine, Florida State, Mississippi State, Arizona, Louisville, uh, Mike McGraws, Baylor Bears are in this one, Missouri, um, Brigham Young. You got NC State, Cal, Charlotte, Grand Canyon, uh, who I battled in the whack when I was in college, and then uh, nor- Northern Colorado, Um up I really don't have a feel for this region. It, it's really the most wide open one to me.
1: Yeah, this regional is probably the, the least, uh, definitely top-heavy one that I'd say for sure. You have Florida State in there as a six ranked Pepperdine eleven, but then you have to go all the way down to nineteen, which is where Arizona is. Then Mississippi State is 20th. Uh, Mike McGraw's Baylor Bears, who I know that we're rooting for very heavily. They're 31st, and Louisville is 33rd. So, yeah, that's uh, it's pretty wide open in in that aspect. Uh, doesn't look like that San Jose State um, looks like they got an individual that's playing so that the team will not be there. So, a little different. Different than a situation that we had in the first couple regionals where a team who's a lower seed may be able to go up and steal, or I guess in this in this sense, a higher seed would go up and steal a seed from another one. But yeah, no, I out of all the regionals, Sam, that we've talked about, I think this one is the least uh, least top heavy, which which. And that theory would make it the most wide open, as you were alluding to. So, yeah, it would not shock me. if, In all honesty, if any of these teams made it in there, and I do think this is probably the best regional to have a top team potentially not make it just because of, as you said, the openness of this regional.
0: Yeah, I, I like Pepperdine to win that regional with William now, and uh, Derek Hitchner still at Pepperdine. They don't have Minetti anymore, but I like Pepperdine. t uh, let's get to what the people care about. Let's talk about the Las Vegas Regional hosted by the University of Nevada. That is where the Oklahoma State Cowboys are going for regionals. Uh, Arizona State is the top team in the Las Vegas Regional. You have Stanford, Virginia. Oklahoma State is the four seed in that region. You have Northwestern, East Tennessee State, uh, Cincinnati, San Francisco, UNC Greensboro, Long Beach State, uh, Oregon State, Davidson. And then at 13, the 13 seed, T-Dub, the University of Missouri, Kansas City, Kangaroos, my alma mater, the winners of the Summit League. They got the job done in Nebraska. We interviewed J.W. Vandenborn about that. They get into the Las Vegas regional. They thought they might be going to Oklahoma, but turns out they are headed to Las Vegas. Uh, And then the 14 seed in that region is Lehigh. T Dub, what are your initial thoughts on the draw that Oklahoma State got?
1: I think this was probably the best situation that OSU could have really hoped for. We've been talking about, at least I have, for the last month or so, is that OSU's right on the line of you play good at regionals and you play good at the right time. You can make match play and potentially make run a run national championship. And if you just play a B minus or C game for your team, you're potentially not even going to make it to nationals. So I think this worked out really well for them. Uh, Stanford is the twelve is the twelfth overall team. Arizona State's the fourth team and then Virginia's the 17 team, OSU is the 18 team. Then you have to drop all the way down to the likes of Northwestern at 32, Eastern Tennessee State at 29, Cincinnati at 40. So, you know, I think this this really helped out good for OSU and also another situation where UNLV's hosting the tournament, they have an individual playing, but they, their team was not able to make it in. So not going to worry about one of those lower seeds hopefully coming out on a home course and beating them. So, I mean, Sam, in all honesty, I think this was best-case scenario for OSU. And just looking at this field – uh, definitely more so than that was a couple weeks ago. I'd be pretty shocked if they don't if they're able if they are not able to make it on to Greyhawk.
0: Yeah, I think OSU should make it to Greyhawk. They've been playing some better golf lately. Um obviously Jonas Baumgarner has been playing some really solid golf. Uh was one of only four guys to be under par at Prairie Dunes won the week before that. They need to get a little more consistent play from Rasmus Niergar peterson but he's not the issue. The issue with Oklahoma State is they got to get great play from guys like Bojen, Leo Oyo. They're four or five, really three, four, five bags have to play well uh, for Oklahoma State to have success. That's really any team, but especially Oklahoma State with the inconsistent play from those three, four, five bags all year. Um, Disappointing Big 12 championship what they finished sixth, TW. It was a fifth or sixth, but they were one shot behind Texas in the big 12 championship. Uh, obviously teams like Oklahoma and TCU and Texas tech uh, were all up there. Um, disappointing as far as OSU standards go, but I, I would say the silver lining is that Oklahoma state does have one of the hotter players in the country. in Jonas Baumgartner, Leading into regionals and the national championship.
1: Absolutely, yeah. It's uh, I, I feel like that OSU, they, they did not have their best stuff, especially at the earlier start of the year. And then with the turmoil of losing Brian Stark to the transfer portal halfway through the year, it, you're going to have some some team turnover. There's no doubt about it. And I feel like they've been able to kind of rally a little bit. Still, as you mentioned, not up to the standards that OSU has traditionally set. But uh, I do think they are sitting good. And, and with everything that's been dealt to them, as I mentioned, with Brian Stark leaving Andrew Carr leaving, I, I feel like that OSU fans shouldn't have the highest of expectations just because that that's such a – a quick turnover, that transpired. But uh, with Jonas uh, Baumgarner playing so well, and hopefully, as you mentioned, Bo Jin and some of those uh, lower backs can find a little bit of form. They should be able to move their way on to Greyhawk. And then I remember Bo Jin finished second. I don't bl- I think it was last year's uh, national championship, maybe it was the year before. But nevertheless, he had had a very good record at Greyhawk. So if they are able to make it on, I do feel like they could make a little bit of a push.
0: No doubt about it. And they're playing against Arizona State, who beat them in the national championship at Greyhawk last year. T-Dub, the last regional we got to get to, that's Jimmy Austin OU Golf Club in Norman, Oklahoma, coming up May t- May 15th through the 17th. Um, Texas Tech is the top team in this region, but Oklahoma just beat Texas Tech in the Big 12 championship. Oklahoma is peaking at the right time. The young guys are playing solid golf, and, and even the older guys like uh, Patrick Welch, the cross-handed bandit, he played extremely consistent golf for the Sooners. Drew Goodman has his game back in form. That's great news for the Sooners. And obviously, guys like Ben Lorenz and Jay Summy, some of the younger guys, have been playing really great golf recently. OU, and I'm not just saying this because we're in Oklahoma, T-Dub. They are maybe the hottest team in the country. They've been. I don't know, anywhere between 10th and 15th in the standings all year. They're playing better than that right now. I think it would be a massive disappointment if OU did not make match play, not just make the national championship, but make match play of the national championship. And then anything can happen. But let's get into this regional that people, I'm sure a lot of fans are going to want to get out and watch. Uh, So the teams you're going to be seeing are Texas Tech, Oklahoma, Alabama, Ole Miss, Wake Forest, Duke, LSU, North Florida, Colorado, Kansas, uh, North Carolina, North Carolina Wilmington. You have uh, Louis Louisiana Lafayette, Princeton, and Arkansas Pine Bluff. Um, you also have individuals from Iowa State, SMU, Sam Houston, and uh, North Florida, and Louisiana Tech headed to Jimmy Austin T Dub. I got to be honest. OU got a pretty tough draw, but it is on their home course, so I expect for them to win the golf tournament, to be honest. But at the same time, the level of the uh, competition is a lot higher than at some of these other regionals to me.
1: Yeah, if OU was not playing on their home course, I'd be a lot more worried than I am currently just because – out of those top six teams, as you mentioned, they're all in the top 25. So uh, you, they're only going to take five teams from this regional. So this regional is going to have one team who's not in the top 25 not making. That's not even including LSU, who's down at 38. So, yeah, this, this regional is going to be very, very, uh, very convoluted right around the 4, 5, 6 mark. But, no, I agree with you. I think OU, even though they are the two seed, they are the one seed in, the, in this aspect. I know Texas Tech has the best player in the country in love it. Aberg. But at the same time, OU, I do feel like, is the better top-to-bottom team at least currently, so no, I don't think any worries about them not being able to make it on Greyhound. but I do agree that if they aren't able to make the match play this year, I feel like it will be a little bit of a disappointment just because of how well they've been playing over the last month, so you know if this was at a different course, Sam, I'd be a little bit more worried, but luckily it is at Jimmy Austin so OU shouldn't have any problems, but those uh, those other teams, even in Alabama, is a three seed if they don't go out and play their best stuff, you have Duke Wake Forest or Ole Miss go out and, and show something, it's, it's going to be tough for those guys so no, this is going to be a very, very very tight regional um, for those last few teams trying to make it
0: no doubt and if you're headed out to jimmy austin to support ou or just watch some golf hopefully ou and texas tech are paired together so you can watch love big a this guy is going to be a star on the pga tour live or wherever he decides to play his professional golf this guy is unbelievable he I, i mean at one point earlier this year was top 13 at bay hill um, and then he goes on to break the scoring record for the Big 12 championship. This guy is an absolute stud. So definitely, if you're going down to Norman, go watch Loveberg, Love Big a play some golf. TW, we got to hit a break here on the 73rd Hole radio show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. After the break, we got a lot more to get into. You might hear a little bit from Ryan Hibble later on in the show, but we're going to talk some live golf. And leading up to Live Tulsa next week here on Oklahoma's Leader in Golf. Oklahoma's Leader in Golf, the sports animal. And we are back for hour two here on the 73rd Hold Radio Show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon. Preston, you're a big F1 guy, right? There's a big race today in there. It's getting a whole bunch of attention, isn't it? Uh, Yes, be in Miami for the Miami Grand Prix. See it all over ESPN, all over the national outlets. And remind me, they're backed by the Saudis, right? Uh not fully, but uh, they uh heavy investors, yes. Interesting. Are, yeah. Interesting. I, I was just making that clear. Uh anyways, speaking of that, uh Live Golf is headed up to Tulsa for Live Tulsa next week. And P dub, we got some text messages during the last hour. I wanted to save them for this hour, doing a little bit of a preview. We'll do our full preview for Live Tulsa on the podcast coming up this week, you're not going to want to miss it. By the way, our schedule for the week P dub is, is going to be crazy. Um, But we're going to get up there Wednesday morning uh, for the, the uh, press conferences with Taylor Gooch, Charles Howe, Peter Uline. Those are coming up Wednesday morning as well as uh, the fireballs press conference, which is Abe answer Eugenio Chakara coming up at uh, 10.30 on Wednesday. So definitely be looking Wednesday morning. We'll have a lot of great content. Then Thursday at 9 a.m., uh, we'll be in the press conference with Brooks Kepka, Chase Koepka, uh Jason Kokrak, and Matthew Wolf. And I'm sure we'll have a lot of great stuff throughout those days, uh, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, leading up to Live Tulsa on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, T-Dub. But one of the text messages that we got Uh, last hour was from the 405, and they said, I went to high school with Gooch. It was like watching a corn fairy guy when he was 15 and 16. Uh, I can attest to that. The guy was unbelievably talented at a young age. Just ask anyone anyone who was out at John Conrad watching him over on that famous Chipping Green. Uh, I'm not sure if that Chipping Green's even still there T-Dub now that they did redid uh, John Conrad, but that's where Taylor Gooch really learned how to play golf. But, uh, the question they went on to say here, this texter on the trade Pro and air tech nation line goes on to say, I don't even follow the O W G R anymore. It's so skewed and not accurate to the actual level of golf guys are playing worldwide. Um, yeah, thank you, captain obvious. I, I, completely agree with you. Everyone in the game of golf agrees with you. um, it's the executives that are making these decisions, t And the, the board of the OWGR Remember, uh, Jay Monahan and Keith Pelly, who are the commissioner of the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, they were able to make decisions up until about six months ago. you still got guys like Fred Ridley, Mike Wan on that board. And we've seen uh, over this past week, T-Dub, the decisions that Mike Wan has made in regards to the field at the U.S. Open. Taylor Gooch, who has just won back-to-back times on live, will not be in the U.S. Open. Uh, Really, this became a story right here on the 73rd Hole Podcast when we had Taylor Gooch on, and he explained how the USGA retroactively is keeping him out of the U.S. Open based on language, T dub They added in one little word that is keeping in – keeping Taylor Gooch out of the US Open. And basically the rule for the past decade plus has been if you were if you finish the year in the top thirty of the FedEx Cup standings, meaning you qualified for the tour championship, you are in the US Open. Now the rule states you have to qualify for the tour championship and here's that language, be eligible. For the Tour Championship, thus keeping Taylor Gooch out because he was suspended when he made the transition to live. By the way, pretty impressive that Taylor Gooch didn't even play on the PGA Tour the last four months of last year and somehow finished in the top 29. He finished 29th in those rankings, C Dub. Um, but here's the story now. Uh, then Mike Wan comes out and says we are not going to change our criteria for Taylor Gooch. Well. They did change their criteria for Taylor Gooch. They just wanted to keep Taylor Gooch out of the golf tournament. But Phil Mickelson went on to say he qualified, talking about Taylor Gooch, he qualified nine months ago via Tour Championship. Three months ago, Juan changed the wording on the qualifying criteria to take it away. Total, and then he refers to one of those moves that refers to a body part, c Dub. By Mike Wan, Uh, he said he leads our governing body. Sad. And now Phil is on Twitter saying, Wan, move. Uh, So, um, P-Dub, what are your thoughts about this whole kind of storm that has happened really ever since we had Taylor Gooch on our podcast?
1: Well, it's just an absolute joke is what it is. And I made this point on the podcast. I want the listeners to, to kind of soak this in. They changed the wording to eligible to play. You had to qualify and be eligible. Let's just say they made the rule, and if they would have changed it and said you have to be, you have to qualify for the tournament and you have to play in the tournament. Okay, I would have halfway understood that. But what you would have gained a situation like a Will Zalatoris last year, who gets hurt in the second playoff event and can't play, so it's like, oh well, we can't have something like that happen and him potentially not get in for that. So they changed it to eligible, and and the, my whole entire point, Sam, is. In what other realm would you not be eligible for the church? Ter- would you qualify and not be eligible if you didn't go to live? I mean, with the exception of a of a Dustin Johnson, you get suspended type of situation. I mean, I, I don't feel like that that's that's not a possibility. So they specifically worded this for uh, to essentially detract players who wanted to m- go to live at halfway midway through the year or, or towards the end of the year. That's the only way they did this. And the two the other two crimes about this, Sam, is that. The Masters gave TG that exemption. He had already qualified for being top 50 in the world at the end of 2022. But whenever you went to the Masters website and you saw the little how each player qualified for the tournament, that was a way that TG qualified for the Masters was from that. And the biggest thing, we've we've said this a thousand times, but people need to listen because you get on Twitter and you see so much things that are misconstrued. We're not asking the, the USGA to make some special rule for Gooch because he's won two back-to-back live events. We're asking them to do the same criteria they've done for years now, for years, and all of a sudden when live comes about, they decide to change it for this one reason. And, and my whole point, Sam, is that anyone who could not see why the USGA made this change is, is either dumb or blind. That's the only two ways I could see that you don't understand what is going on here.
0: I mean, it's absolutely true that they changed it with live on their mind, and I've heard some dumb arguments with this. People are saying it's the U.S. Open. Why doesn't Taylor Gooch just go qualify? Well, let's look at how they've been playing right now. Taylor Gooch is the 21st-ranked player on Data Golf, which is really the only legitimate ranking system we have in the game of golf right now, and he's been playing a whole lot better golf And guys, even like a Rory McIlroy, who, by the way, missed the cut at the U.S. Open. I mean, at the Masters. And then, uh, I mean, this week, not playing very well at the Wells Fargo. Um, T-Dub, Taylor Gooch took to Twitter. And our friends at the Flushing It podcast, great guys over there. They said, they asked TG this question. They said, if you don't qualify for the U.S. Open via the PGA. By the way, the PGA gave Taylor Gooch the exemption into the PGA. The Open Championship still has the exact verbiage of what it was in the first place. It, they do; they did not add in the eligible part. It's just the USGA. So he will be in the PGA in the Open Championship. But they asked, the Flushing It podcast asked Taylor Gooch, if you don't qualify via the PGA, will you do qualifying, TG? And Taylor said, nope. They obviously don't want me to play or they wouldn't have altered the criteria to relinquish my best chance of playing better question. How many of the current top 60 players in the OWGR believe I shouldn't be in the field? When do we start asking the players instead of amateur organizations, T-Dub to make Taylor Gooch and to say for Mike Wan to say, Oh, you know, I hope that he gets in. I hope that he qualifies. He's, the 21st-best player in the world right now, T-Dub, and that's probably a little low considering how he's played the last two weeks. Why is he watering down his own field, making the U.S. Open field weaker? Who does that benefit, T-Dub? Well, I'll tell you who it benefits. The USGA and the PGA Tour, T-Dub, are scratching each other's back. What was the big news in the world of golf over the past month? The golf ball rollback which is the usga and they need the pga Tour's support on that why does the pga tour need the major support on them not getting owg on live players not getting owgr points because p the pga tour has to hit a certain average of owgr per tournament right as far as Players, where they are ranked in the OWGR per PGA Tour Tournament, they have to hit an average for their TV deal with CBS. Well, what do you do when you lose half of your good players last year? Well, you basically have artificial rankings where half of those guys aren't getting points. So the lower-ranked guys have an artificial ranking that is higher than what they actually are in the world, P-Dub so that the PGA Tour can hit those benchmarks. They're clearly scratching each other's back, and Taylor Gooch is just the first one to get caught in these crosshairs, t dub. But we're going to start seeing it more often. Cameron Smith, Phil Mickelson, Dustin Johnson, Bryson DeChambeau, and Brooks Koepka, they will be in the majors for the foreseeable future. But guys like a Patrick Reed won't be starting next year. I mean, really starting this year. Um, other than the Masters. You won't see Louis Oosthuizen. You won't see Bubba Watson. You won't see Charles Schwartzel. You won't see Joaquin Neiman or Mito Pereira. You won't see Sergio Garcia or Abe Anser or Taylor Gooch or Thomas Peters. You won't see Kevin Na. You won't see Harold Barner III. You're telling me that none of these guys should have an opportunity to win a major championship because they don't fit a certain criteria that is good for the PGA Tour, that's not fair, in my opinion, Tito.
1: Well, the, the two things that you make a great point on, and this, and it's 100% why the USGA is going down this run, the number one thing is the ball rollback. I mean, it's an excellent point that has been made because if the USGA does not have the PGA Tour support on this, it, it's going to go down by the wayside, and all the work that the USGA has done is going to be for nothing, which at this point I kind of hope that it is because it's turned into quite a bit of a joke. And, I'm, I mean, Sam, you and me have, and, and Woody have talked forever about how this this ball rollback is going to do nothing but, but probably hurt the game. And, and then the biggest thing... Also, too on that deal, when it comes to money, is the TV contract. Luckily for the PJ Tour, that they've signed their TV deal all the way through the year of 2030, so they'll have a little bit of time to go through it. But let's just say that things transpire over the next what would that be seven years now, and if Live keeps growing, the PJ Tour gets gets down and and Live is able to get world ranking points, and they go back to the same system they have now. I mean, the PJ Tour is not going to be able to get as much money as they were before, at least in in perspective compared to what it had been on their last TV deal. So, yeah, no, that's that's 100% the reason why this stuff is going on. And, and one shining light, Sam, for TG is that he's still not officially out of the U.S. Open. He has a high enough finish at the PGA at Oak Hill. He will be able to play his way in. I sure hope that happens. And, uh, and, no, I completely agree with him for not wanting to go to sectionals. It's clear that the USGA does not want him there. And w- what good is really going to come from sectionals? Yes, he should be able to make it through, but let's go out and let's just say he has a bad 36 holes and misses it by one or two well then everyone's gonna say oh we'll see the USGA made the right decision he couldn't even qualify and get in just because he had one bad day at golf so no I completely agree with what TG's doing and it's an absolute shame that uh that the major championships are getting diluted from not having the best players there just because of the stubbornness of essentially the PGA Tour.
0: Let me ask you the question will there be an asterisk next to this US Open if Taylor Gooch does not play? I think there has to be. If if one of the top 20 players in the world right now is not in a major championship because they're trying to keep him out of it, that's a giant story, T-Dub, and it's going to happen to bigger and bigger names. And one of the other reasons why live is uh, why the PJ Tour are trying to do this to the OWGR to keep these live guys out. It's looking into the future and Mike Wan even said we're looking into the future. Yes, they absolutely are. That's one one thing that he did tell the truth about is that they do not want these great college players to sign NIL deals with Liv and then be signed to Liv. And then all of a sudden, none of the top players out of college are going to the PGA Tour. They're going to Liv. You've already seen the PGA Tour make the changes to where now the PGA Tour, you guys get PGA Tour cards. And you've also... The fact that this is the reason why they are doing that, because they think that they can freeze out the young guys out of majors, the guys that haven't won majors yet. Um, I just think it's a really, really low way to do it.
1: It 100% is. And will there be an asterisk because TG doesn't play? I'm going to say no. If, if you left every single lift player out, I would say at that point, yes. But, I mean, there's been times over the course of whatever being for not allowing them to play, but let's say like Rory at the 2015 Open Championship when he got hurt, or like Tiger in 2008 when he when he didn't play the last two majors and everyone was asking, well, should Padraig Harrington's uh, majors have an asterisk by because Tiger didn't play? I, I was never in that, cat- in that boat, and I don't think it would be the case here. I think once you get more multiple players that you're purposely leaving out of your tournament, that is that is a case. And I just think it's horrible that uh, someone who we consider a friend and someone who we know is an outstandingly great guy in TG is essentially getting pretty screwed over by all this. its uh, It really is sad to see. And uh, I would have hoped that the USGA at some point, with all this uh, backlash coming out at them, would have kind of changed the rule or, or changed it back to the way it was or seen what the PGA Championship did. And really, as soon as the news broke from our podcast, he, he got that exemption. I was hoping... That would be the case here, but it doesn't look like it's going to be, and I just hope for for really the sake of golf in general, not even just TG, but golf, that he plays good enough at Oak Hill to earn his way in because uh, the, the majors need the best players there, and we don't need this political BS going on to dilute the major championships. That was my fear going into this whenever Liv first heard about and the PJ Tour being so backlashed against it. Unfortunately, it's not only happened to a great player, but it's happened to one of our friends, Sam.
0: Yeah, we just got a text on the text line here. It says an asterisk would be ridiculous. Um, you cannot be serious. Well, I am serious. Look at the last two major championships, T-Dub. Five different live players have finished in the top six of the last two major championships combined. Three out of the top four at Augusta National. And Gooch has gone out there and beaten those, that, that same, those same five guys. Those same five guys were in the last two tournaments that Taylor Gooch won. And my point is that Taylor Gooch is one of the top 20 players in the world right now. If we were actually ranking the system the way it should be ranked when he left, he's playing better golf than when he left the PGA Tour and he was top 30 in the world, in the official world golf ranking when he went to live and he was top 10 on the FedEx Cup when he went to live. I wonder what he would be ranked if he was on the PGA Tour right now. That's why I don't think it's ridiculous to say that because you would never say that about a guy like a Colin Morikawa or you would never say that about a guy like a Justin Thomas, but Taylor Gooch is playing just as good a golf as those guys are right now. And what makes the major championship special to me? It has all the best players in the world, not just the ones the USGA wants. Um, T-Dub, let's go ahead and hit a break. Then we'll do you know, our preview for Cedar Ridge. We'll talk about Liv, the standing so far on Liv. If you haven't watched Liv so far this year and are headed up to Tulsa to see the great golf, you need to listen to this preview and get caught up on what's gone on throughout the live season here on the 73rd hole radio show on Oklahoma's leader in golf, the sports animal. And we're back here on the 73rd hole radio show, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Poole with you until noon Covered the PGA tour in the Wells Fargo last hour. We're talking about live this hour since live is coming to Oklahoma coming to Tulsa really broken arrow Cedar Ridge T dub my personal favorite course in Oklahoma I've always said if I lived in Tulsa I'd love to be a member up at Cedar Ridge it's one of those courses T dub it's kind of what you see is what you get no real tricks about it other than number three which will be uh, number 12 for the tournament they're flipping the nine uh, for live Tulsa I think a lot of the scoring depends on the weather for this tournament. T Dub, obviously if the weather gets up and the wind gets up, the scores are going to be higher. And this time of year in Oklahoma, you know that this is, this can be crazy weather in Tulsa this time of year. And so the thing that I love about Cedar Ridge is it's always perfectly manicured. The greens are some of the best greens in Oklahoma, but, it's a ball striker's paradise and it will punish bad shots and it will reward good shots. And that's how I judge my courses, T-Dub. And that's why I would put Cedar Ridge up there in the echelon of, you know, Southern Hills and Oak tree national Carson Creek and Jimmy Austin, the best courses in the state. Cedar Ridge deserves to be in that discussion. Um, T-Dub actually back when they had the USAM here, um, what was that, 2008? 2007 T-Dub? 2009. Uh, when Ben on, 2009, right. Uh, back in, and when Ben on won, it, it, they had, they played the stroke play portion of the USAM. Uh, half of it was on Cedar Ridge, and Cedar Ridge actually had a higher scoring average than Southern Hills did. Now, that was before the re- redesign of Southern Hills, restoration of Southern Hills. But as far as just a, a test of golf, I think that. Cedar Ridge was the perfect place to put this live event of any other course in Oklahoma I really do.
1: Yeah, it it really is a great test of golf. When, when you add it down, I think it is interesting that they are flipping the nines. I was trying to think of a, a logistical reason as to why they're doing that. Maybe it has to do with where they could put hospitality areas and stuff like that. From Because from, from a golf course perspective, I mean, I don't look at holes uh, like 7, 8, and 9 at Cedar and think, oh, well, those should definitely be the finishing holes of the tournament. I, I think the back nine is a, is a great test of golf as well. So, yeah, that's fairly interesting. As to why they did that, and I mean, I, I agree with you, Sam. Is it up in the echelon of Southern Hills? I'm going to go ahead and say no on that, but it, it really is a, a great test of golf. And the, the overall design of it, like I said, the, the third hole is a little bit quirky, and I think we could maybe do some changes there to make that hole a little bit better. But but the majority of the holes out there are really, really good. The green complexes are are extremely phenomenal. Not a whole lot of not not necessarily like classic Perry Maxwell, extremely undulating, but definitely you gotta know where to miss your ball around those greens for sure. And every single time I played it, Sam, the rough has been extremely gnarly. I mean like almost being able to lose your ball in the rough gnarly. So it'll be interesting to see if they if they have a setup like that. And then you mentioned the weather, Sam. Looking at the Tulsa forecast, all the way from Tuesday of this week to Sunday, there's at least a 30-40% to 40% chance of rain, and upwards of 50-60% or 60% some days as well. So, I, I don't have any information on this at all, but I would not be shocked if maybe one or two of the days they did what they did in Singapore, right, where they move the tea times up a little bit early to maybe battle some rain. So, if you are going up to watch the tournament, maybe be on the lookout for that. Maybe the, the uh, tea times or the shotgun start will change a little bit. But, uh, but yeah, if, if the rain gets going up there, Sam they do have to play in a little bit of drizzle that's going to make that course and especially that rough that much harder
0: yeah but at the same time like we saw in Singapore when these courses get wet and and obviously these players are just so good you can't hide the flags from them I think that it would be play a little bit tougher if it played you know firm and fast I don't know it, it's an interesting question just because I think that you know most of the time, when you see rain and and obviously if it 's thunderstorms, then these guys are not playing in the rain. then once you get a soft golf course, you just can 't hide uh, flags from these guys. but the rough is definitely you 're right on the money with that T dub this Bermuda rough these guys aren 't necessarily used to um and you can catch flyers or it can come out dead. That will be definitely a talking point throughout the week because it's not only the rough, but the Bermuda to chip on. It's the toughest surface to chip on. Um, A lot of guys who did not grow up in this part of the country will have a little bit of trouble or a little bit of work to do earlier on in the week getting used to that surface. Um, T-Dub, as far as the standings go for the players, uh, playing in Live Tulsa. You got Taylor Gooch in that top spot. Uh, you got Peter Uline in second and Charles Howe in third. Peter Uline, remember, finished second to Charles Howe uh, at the first Live Golf event at Mayakoba. Um, and then Charles Howe has played some consistent golf, finished fifth in Tucson and eighth in Singapore. Obviously, Taylor Gooch coming off back to back wins in Adelaide and Singapore. Um, after those top three guys, those top three OSU guys, um, you have Brooks Kepka, who got the win uh, the week before the Masters at Live Golf Orlando. And then at Singapore, we saw Taylor Gooch stare down Sergio Garcia and Brooks Kepka in that final group. Um, Brooks just couldn't really make a putt. It wasn't like he was hitting the ball terrible or anything in Singapore. It just seemed like nothing was going his way. Uh, on that final day, he just kept leaving some putts short, but he's still playing some great golf uh, like we've seen in Orlando and at Augusta National. Continues that with a third-place finish in in Singapore. Um, after Brooks, you got Carlos Ortiz, Patrick Reed, uh, Mito Pereira, Sergio Garcia, Cam Smith, and Sebastian Munoz round out your top ten. Now, guys like uh, Matthew Wolfe, By the way, a hometown favorite here, played his college golf at Oklahoma State. Uh, He's had an up-and-down year, uh, finished 10th in Mayakoba, finished 12th 12th in Tucson, and then finished 5th in Orlando. Um, Guys like Dustin Johnson have not been playing very well this year, but still going to be a crowd favorite up there in Tulsa. DJ is 20th in the live standings right now. Um, Really you know, hasn't necessarily, you know, found form. And and Mayakoba, obviously, it's one of those courses he would not have played um, if he didn't have to, didn't set up well for his game. Did have a seventh-place finish in Orlando. That course did set up well for his game. But I thought that Singapore would set up well for DJ, and he finishes 25th. Um, The putter has been really inconsistent for DJ so far this year. Guys like Joaquin Neiman, uh, who we've seen – play some solid golf over the past couple of years. Um, he's kind of not had a very good live season so far. So a lot of the big names looking to find form the week before the PGA championship. I think that you might see a little bit higher level golf than even normal on live considering it's the week before the PGA championship. Uh, and what about, I think 10 guys are are going to be playing in the PGA championship the week after for live T dub So I think that that's one of the reasons why I think the scores could be even a little bit lower from the big names.
1: Well, yeah, you look at, like, Kepka when he won down in Orlando. That was the week before the Masters, and we saw how he played at Augustus. So, you no, know, I think something very similar could have to happen with maybe a DJ or even a Cam Smith. I, I do feel like that we, we've seen some kind of lackluster play from, as you mentioned, like, Joaquin Neiman hasn't been playing very good. Phil, in all honesty, finished second at the Masters, but he's 35th on the Live rankings, hasn't finished better than 15th, has showing a little bit of good form coming in. Someone like Bryson, I'm not expecting a whole lot from him, but he's down in 38th in the rankings. His best finish on Live has been six. 16th. And someone who I do expect to have a better week than has been playing is local guy Abraham Answer. He's down in 39th in the rankings out of 50 people, so has not having a very good year. His best finish was 17th at the very first tournament. So no, I expect Abe Answer to play a little bit better. But one thing that's funny, Sam, is that I didn't realize as to looking at the rankings the very first press conference on Wednesday is is uh, Gooch, Uline, and Charles Howe. and I thought, oh, well, they're, they're just having a, a bunch of OSU guys out there to lead the pack. Well, no, they're first, second, and third in the point standings, so I mean, I thought that was absolutely crazy, and I looked it up to realize, I mean, obviously, we, we talk about all the time how good these guys have been playing, but until you actually look at the standings, you're like, man, they really have been dominating, because with the exception of Kepka, who's in fourth, those three have a pretty big lead over uh, Carlos Ortiz, who's in fifth, so those three have been playing really exceptional good golf, and it's great to see those OSU you guys so a, a little bit of good form. But, but no, I, I do think that even someone like Matt Wolf as well got off to a great start, 10th, 12th, and 5th, first three live events, but has finished 44th and 41st, uh, his last two, so I, I know a lot of people will be rooting for him to make a, a decent amount of... Of a comeback. So, and then you have a situation like Danny Lee, who's in 11th. He won in Tucson, and his best finish since then has been 24th. So maybe we'll have an out of the kind of out of the woodworks kind of guy come out and win, but I don't expect that. I expect the local guys, the majority of them to play well. And I do expect Kepka, maybe even a DJ or Cam Smith. I expect at least one, maybe even two of those big names who haven't been playing particularly well this year, at least to what the standards we want them to, are going to come out and show some form leading into the PGA.
0: No doubt about it. As far as the team standings go, the four aces are in that top spot. Team Torque uh, is in second, and the Fireballs are in third. Torque and the Fireballs both have some Latin America flavor. Obviously, um, you know, the four aces are Dustin Johnson, Peter Uline really carrying that team so far this year. Um, and then Patrick Reed, who's been playing some solid golf, and Pat Perez has actually been playing better than he did. Last year in fourth, you got uh, the Range Goats, which is Bubba's squad, which is Taylor Gooch's squad. They got their first ever win on live after, in, in Singapore after finishing second as a team in Adelaide when Taylor Gooch won back-to-back. Um, definitely giving the needle to Dustin Johnson a little bit who told Taylor when he left, uh, to, left the four aces to go to the Range Goats that he would never see the podium again. Well, they did. They've been second and first the last two weeks. And Taylor going for an individual three-peat, basically in his one home game of the year in Tulsa. That's a great storyline. And I'm sure there'll be a lot of Range Goat fans out at Live Tulsa. Uh, The Crushers have Charles Howell and, obviously, Bryson DeChambeau, Anurban Lahiri, and Paul Casey. They are in fifth place in the standings. Um, Ripper is one of the more famous teams. MASH is one of the more famous teams uh, with Cam Smith and Brooks Kepka respectively. They're seventh and eighth in the standings. Uh, Stinger is sixth in the standings. They are the South African team. Um, which team, T dub which you know, group of four guys are you most excited to watch up in Tulsa?
1: Oh, that's that's a pretty good question there. Um, I would have to go with. Prob. I mean, the the, mo- the logo I'm most excited to see is the range range guys because it's by far the best looking. You would say the four aces, at least at this point, have been the best team on paper, but but no, I, I think it's going to be a very interesting team competition because you we, we talk about the rain, right, and, and I think you're 100% right of where it is going to soften up the course and make it a little bit easier for some, but it's going to also make the course play a lot longer. And so I feel like that if they put the pin locations in spots where, at least I'm thinking that they will, it's going to be hard to attack some of those pins with the, with four irons and maybe even some hybrids, which could potentially happen if it does rain and the ball's not getting much roll. So I do think this, if it does rain, I think it will definitely favor the long hitters which at that point you got to look at uh, I mean the team crushers you would think that they would be good there but they're but with Bryson on their team I feel like that that's a little bit hard. Team Torque with uh, with Joaquin Neiman and Mito Pereira. You got to think, man, those those two guys have got to start. Uh, I mean, P- Mito has not been playing absolutely horrible by any stretch, but still not that not that shining bead of light that uh, you expected when he came over and a guy who almost won the PGA Championship last year. So uh, I think team competition is going to be very interesting, and uh, I-, I think most people are going to kind of be looking at it from an individual perspective. But especially on Sunday Sunday afternoon, I'm be interested to see exactly how the atmosphere goes around the team, especially let's just. Say there's a situation where someone like TG or someone like that going out and leading by five or six shots, but his team is still there close and to see the, the same intensity that's there. So that's the main thing I'm looking forward to, Sam, is just exactly how the team dynamic adds to the element that is uh, whenever you have $4 million riding on just an individual line, then you have the team into it. There There is a lot at stake in this tournament.
0: No doubt about it. And one thing to look out for is guys like a Taylor Gooch or – Matthew Wolf will have some course knowledge that these other guys don't have considering they've never had a pro tournament at Cedar Ridge. Um, Matthew Wolf's caddy, Nick Heinen, who I he was my high school teammate at Edmond North. He won a team with me at, at Cedar Ridge, won a team high school state championship on this golf course our freshman year. So a little course knowledge possibly coming from Nick Hynan to help Matthew Wolf out uh, coming up at uh, Liv Tulsa, also Eugenio lopez Chikara, um, another OSU guy that is playing for the Fireballs, young and up-and-coming guy. Uh, he got his first win on Live quickly last year at Live Bangkok. But I'm just excited uh, to get up there, see the atmosphere. If you're a golf nerd, t you're absolutely going to love the golf that you see out at Cedar Ridge. But if you're not really a fan of golf at all or you want to take your wife or girlfriend up there, They're going to enjoy it, too, because there's going to be a concert Friday night. There's going to be, you know, music and hospitality suites, fan zones. Um, Like Liv says, it's golf but louder um, as an effort to grow the game. Anyone would enjoy going up to Liv Tulsa next week at Cedar Ridge coming up May 12th through the 14th. And like I said definitely go subscribe to the 73rd hole podcast. We're going to be having great content all week starting Wednesday morning through Sunday evening, covering everything live Tulsa. It's absolutely free to free to subscribe to the 73rd hole podcast and it will give you a notification whenever we drop new episodes next week. One more segment here on the 73rd hole radio show, Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Pool, with you until noon. When we get back, we'll circle back to the Wells Fargo and make our picks for this afternoon here on Oakland's Leader in Golf, the Sports Animal. And we're back here on the 73rd Hole radio show. Sam Humphreys, Taylor Williams, Preston Pool, with you for one more segment here. If you missed our first hour of the 73rd Hole radio show, you missed us talking about the Wells Fargo. So I figured we'd circle back, give our picks again, For the Wells Fargo at Whale Hollow and one of the most beautiful courses they play in all of professional golf. Wyndham Clark former Oklahoma State Cowboy then transferred to Oregon is in the lead at 16 under par two shots ahead of Xander Shoffley. Adam Scott and Terrell Hatton are 11 under tied for third. Then you got Harris English and Tommy Fleetwood at 10 under tied for fifth along with JM uh, T-Dub, I'm looking at the live odds here. Uh, Wyndham Clark is plus 110. Xander Shoffley is plus 150. Then it drops all the way down to Terrell Hatton at plus 1600. So Vegas definitely thinks it's a two-horse race this afternoon. They agree with us. I think your best bet of the day would be Xander Shoffley at plus 150 just because Wyndham hasn't been in that situation before um, and going to be playing for over $3 million this afternoon. Xander has been in those situations, hasn't missed the cut since last year's Masters. Uh, I just trust Xander the most out of these guys. And I do trust Hatton now that he's healthy again. Um, but he just needs uh, some help from Clark and Shoffley. That's why I think your best bet is probably the plus 150 on Shoffley.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I would win <clears throat> Wyndham Clark and essentially almost even money a little bit worse. I'm not laying on that for a guy to get his first win at one of the best uh, golf courses in one of the strongest fields. You'll see. So, no, I I would definitely lay the money on Shoffley at at plus uh, 150 for sure. That seems like a very solid bet. We mentioned the analytics before. I'll read them again. Uh, uh, Wyndham Clark, 55% chance to win. Xander Shoffley at 32%. So, you add those up. You're looking at about 87%. So, only 13% chance that any of those two would not win. So, I'm definitely thinking it is a two-horse race and I would definitely go with Shoffley with those odds. And you look at the the course as well same yesterday the course played almost a full shot under par but, but but compared to the first couple of days and then even today the course is playing almost a full shot over par with this select few people who are out on the course, I mean, it is playing pretty tough. there our man Taylor Moore, who was five under, start the day. He's unfortunately three over through seven, so he's all the way down at two under. And then, uh, I mean, even someone like Rory McIlroy, he's only two under for the tournament. He actually uh, went on a little bit of a birdie barrage and eagled number ten to get to get even that much back because he was a lot worse down there. So, so Sam, this course is playing a little bit tough this afternoon. Looks like holes. 7 through 10 are probably the easiest that you'll see on this course, but then you get to those final few stretches in the green mile. It's going to be definitely tricky. But uh, with 14 and 15, 14 being the drivable par 4 and 15 being a par 5, you could see some volatility come a little bit later in the afternoon, but uh, I definitely think that if anyone is gonna want to make a move at these two, they're gonna have to hope that Clark and Shaffle get off to some bad starts because let's just say they go out and get off to even a close as a start as they did yesterday where both of them were multiple shots under par within the first uh, within the first nine for sure. If they go out and they play good front nines again, it's gonna be tough for these guys to catch up. So someone like Hatton, Adam Scott or even a sung JM who I think of the ten unders has the best chance to make a move, they're gonna need to really hope that uh, the shoffley Clark group kind of does what you see from a lot of other guys where it's so hard to back up a really good round, and uh, maybe that'll be the case today. But uh, I just don't see it. I think it's a two-horse race.
0: Yeah, no doubt. And Denny McCarthy, like you said, the course is playing tough this morning, but Denny McCarthy, four under through 10. Patrick Cantlay, three under through 10. Uh, so the guys getting out there early have had some success. Now you got guys like a Victor Hovland, who's one over on his round so far through two holes. Uh, Ricky Fowler is one under... On his round through four holes, now tied for 17th at seven under par. Um, Like we mentioned earlier, T-Dub, guys like a Max Homa or even a Corey Connors or a Justin Thomas, I feel like they can throw a low one out there today. I just think they're a little too far uh, back. Uh, T-Dub, the last thing I want to get into a little bit is obviously this is an elevated event, and I think the elevated events have been great theater throughout the year. Um, on the PGA Tour, I don't think they've had a bad one yet. I think every single one of them has been awesome to watch. Um, now, next year, the elevated events will be limited field, no cut events, um, which means guys like a Wyndham Clark or guys you know down the list a little bit, like an Austin Eckrode or you know guys that we Kevin Tway that are in this field this year, it's going to be tougher for these guys to get in the field next year. That's another reason not just the money coming up this afternoon, T-Dub, but if Wyndham Clark were to go on to win this elevated event, that's going to set a, set a schedule for next year. That's a lot of pressure on one guy being basically, you know, saying that your schedule is going to be based off this afternoon, T-Dub. That's a lot of pressure.
1: It 100% is for sure, and I mean, I think it's going to be absolutely horrible next year, I truly do, because like, someone like Rory, he was battling to make the cut, had to make about, a, I think it was a four or five footer on 18, just to make it, and all of a sudden you, you take that away, and what's it going to matter? Oh, a guy goes in the weekend even or one under. Uh, I mean, I, I don't think that adds any drama to it, and I think it's going to be... Absolutely worse for these guys who who have a chance to go out there and, and earn their way onto it. And yes, the, everyone's like, oh well, they'll be able to earn their way in the non-elevated events and they'll be able to get in because there's going to be a little like like two weeks like they'll have two or three weeks straight of non-elevated events, then they'll go to elevated events. And how you do in those three or two or three will judge if you get in. I just think that's a horrible way to go about this because I would I've said this before, I'll keep saying I think it's a lot better for guys to be in the field with a chance to beat those guys as opposed to just have to hold hopefully earn your way in, and then have one or two chances. And if you don't get there, it's done. So, no, I completely disagree with the way the system is going. But as we have talked about before too, Sam, I understand that you got to keep these top players happy and keep their pocketbooks fat or else they're going to go to other tours. So, no, it's, uh, it's something that the tour is having to try to do. But at the end of the day, I think especially from a viewership perspective and what I would call kind of a traditionalist uh, theme to the game, I, I think it's a, it's a bad thing going forward for the tour for sure.
0: Absolutely. I would love to see Wyndham Clark get it done. I'm going with Xander Shoffley. By the way, you mentioned Rory. He is one under for the golf tournament right now. Tied for 47th at the Wells Fargo. Everybody enjoy the golf this afternoon. Also, we have basketball coming up at 2 o'clock right here on the Sports Animal. Uh, The Philadelphia 76ers taking on the Boston Celtics in Game 4. Of the Eastern Conference NBA playoffs, right here on the Sports Animal. Coming up at two o'clock, Preston. Thank you so much, T Dub. Thank you. This has been Sam Humphreys on the Seventy Third Hole Radio Show. Definitely make sure to go subscribe to the Seventy Third Hole Podcast. We got we got a lot of great content coming up next week at Live Tulsa. Everyone, enjoy the golf this afternoon, right here on Oklahoma's leader in sports, the Sports Animal.